Welcome to Book Talk with Kara Putman. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Kara Putman, the award-winning, best-selling author of more than 30 novels. I write romantic legal suspense and World War II romance, but I read voraciously. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of my favorite author friends as we talk books, writing, and life. Be sure to check back frequently for new episodes. This podcast is sponsored by Ravel Fiction and Daughter of Eden by Jill Eileen Smith. Eve spends her days in the garden exploring with Adam and walking with their creator until the day everything changes. How will she find the courage to face the unknown future and trust in the promises God has given? Learn more about Daughter of Eden by heading to bakerbookhouse.com where you can receive 30% off and free U.S. shipping on your purchase. Hello and welcome back to Book Talk. Today I am thrilled to be able to introduce you to my friend, Jill Eileen Smith. And some of you will already be familiar with her books because she has almost 20 out, written primarily at this point on Old Testament women. And I am just excited to get to introduce you to her and her books. Jill, would you like to introduce yourself real quickly? Sure. <laughs> um, I began my writing career late in life, I guess you could say, because I took 20 years to practice while I homeschooled my children. So I'm a wife of 46 years this year, and uh, we have three adult sons, two married, three grandchildren, and uh, writing is my career, although it's more part-time than full-time, because I mean, it's my full-time, but I take a lot of breaks, so, because <laughs> yeah. I need them, because life gets in the way. But um, yeah, I've been with Ravel the whole time, except for one book with guideposts. Um, and I love working with Ravel and I'm very grateful for their support. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so much fun to have you here. And we wanted to talk about some of your books. Um, and one of the things that before we even get into specific books that I think is just fascinating and frankly intimidating to me as a writer is your like specific genre is biblical fiction focusing on essentially the untold stories of the women in the Bible. So how did you decide that that was the type of book you wanted to write? Well, I started backwards. Um, it wasn't with the women I started. I began with King David. I wanted to tell his story. I you know, I had a house full of men, three boys and my husband and the male cat. I mean, really, we had no female input but me. And so I wanted to tell the stories from a male point of view. Any book I wrote had a, a male hero. Um, the female heroine was there, but, you know, I didn't relate the same because I was surrounded by men. And um, but I was a tough sell. I tried and tried to, well, I was learning the craft. I was homeschooling our boys for 12 years and I was learning how to write during that time. But every time I tried selling, you know, I was like, no one wanted a, um, a book from too much male points of view didn't sell as well as female. I had to learn to love the female point of view. And so, um, and I had an editor actually tell me when I tried to sell The Wives of King David um, that, what about writing a story about McCall? And I went, she doesn't have a happy ending. So I turned her down. But this is back way back in the day when I was super naive about publishing. 
And 16 years later, that editor was at Ravel and bought The Wives of King David because by then I finally learned how to care about the female point of view. And now, of course, that's my main focus. And um, so all my books, it's like, okay, which, how, how do I tell her story? And it, it never, I never went back to wanting it to be the male point of view, but it became difficult when I wanted to um, write another series beyond this current one I'm finishing because I'd done all the main female characters and it's like okay there's Elijah there's Isaiah there's Daniel different men that I hadn't touched on but there weren't prominent women Isaiah had a wife Elijah didn't you know mm -hmm. and so you're like Daniel probably didn't and you'd have to make up these characters to be the primary person so it it got a lot harder uh, to stay there so yeah and it's there's so much richness, but there are also these big blank spots where we just don't know what was happening or what was going on. So how do you go from the verses that we have into a full novel that, you know, expounds on their story and um, creates this rich book? How do you do that? Well, it was easy with The Wives of King David because David's story was so full. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and then it wasn't so hard with Abraham because his story is very rich as well. And Sarai plays a good part in it. Uh, Rebecca, she's Isaac's like this little teeny part between Jacob and Abraham. So that's where I, I really hit the first wall with her. And I had to, I, I prayed over every scene of that book and I was certain there was absolutely not going to be an ending. And it, God proved me wrong, but I ran into it with Deborah. There's two chapters and one's a song and like very little on her. Rahab, you know, you can get a little bit because you you can take Joshua's story and where the Israelites were. And it, I, I found even when I did The Loves of King Solomon, there's nothing on those four women. Absolutely yeah. nothing in scripture except Jesus mentions the Queen of Sheba. That's it. And oh, Naamah's mentioned as Rehoboam's mother. And she's an Ammonite and that's it. And you're like, what do I do here? What you do is you learn to study the men. The more you know the men in their lives, then you can put them in um, and you learn their culture. Okay, Naama was an Ammonite. You study the Ammonites as best that you can. Queen of Sheba came from where? Ethiopia or Arabia? There's different... Mm -hmm. um, what do you, what would I say? Not myths, but stories about her. Yeah. Yeah. And so I combined the two based on where the map showed both um, areas to be, but I had history at least on my side with her and I could take something with that. And so you create with what you have. And with Star of Persia, I went and looked at what Herodotus had to say about Xerxes. So you don't just take the person in that little portion of scripture because that's all you have. You have to go beyond. And archaeology helped with Abraham's era because I had to go back a thousand years from David. But there's they discovered this tomb in Ur that had all this stuff that gave them a, this uh, idea of what the culture might have been like back then. So I, I just research all that stuff. 
So you essentially have like a PhD in archaeology, <laughs> biblical history, and all of that that you've gained through writing these books. Yeah, I, I would love it if someone would hang that on my wall, but no, yeah. I'm, I'm an amateur at all that, and uh, I just do the best I can. So would you say, and I'm imagining I know the answer to this question, but everybody's a little different in how they write. Are you a plotter or are you a pantser? Because I would say you're probably more of a plotter because you have to dig into the history, but maybe you're like, no, I get like the setting and then I just see what happens with the characters. And both. Um, in fact, on a group of authors that um, I'm part of, um, that I believe you're part of too, they talked about that. And I'm a combination as most of them are. Um, I need that setting. I tried one time writing a book completely seat of the pants and I it crashed. Mm -hmm. So I have to have an outline. And for me, that's a paragraph summary that might take page after page after page, but it's just for me. Mm -hmm. And then I, I go into Scrivener, which I don't use like you're supposed to, but I fill out, I, I find character pictures. I go online, I search, okay, Queen of Sheba, Ethiopia, Arabian, whatever, she's dark skinned. I look for a model or an actress that would be from her era or Jewish or Egyptian, whatever they were, I cast them into that little picture part in Scrivener. And then I put extra pictures throughout that character sheet that they give you. And then I, that helps me fill out like who they might be. And I start to, I, I've gotten better at giving them character qualities ahead of time, but I have to do both. If I just followed a plot, it would be the most boring thing for me ever. And so, but I can't just let a character sidetrack herself either. So yeah. it's both. Well, and I think that probably most of us fall somewhere in the middle. There are the true pantsers and that I'm too left-brained. I'm too much the attorney who's like, we got to do the logical I, it feels like I've, I've learned I waste too much time if I don't have at least something structured out. But I've also written a lot of books where I had a chapter by chapter summary because that's what the publisher wanted. And so I can do both. Mm -hmm. But I like kind of that hybrid in between. I right. just I can write a lot faster. The more I know ahead of time, the faster right. then I can actually sit down and write the story. So when you're writing a book, you said this is kind of your part time, full time job. What does your day look like when you're on deadline? Huh. Well, I'm on one right now. Um, actually, so part of your day is talking to people like Kara. <laughs> uh, right now, this time of year, because my books release in February, typically, mm -hmm. I used to have a book due in, in December. Now, for the past several years, they've been due in March. I'm actually asking them to move me back because I it's too busy. You know, we do book launch, we do interviews all for the book releasing and then the books do. And yet I used to start researching the book that I was going to be due in December in January. So all of it was happening at the same time. And, you know, it's, it's just spinning plates. You know, you try to get that. I, my hardest thing is that first draft. I hate first drafts so bad because I'm, my first drafts look like second drafts. I'm very picky. And so I, I'm probably on my fourth draft, not my third right now because I'm that picky, but I wanted to get two drafts done of Noah's wife before we were going to go meet our grandson this year in November. Cause last year I was 
scrambling to finish a book by March and move and babysit out in Oregon, all in that same little time frame. And my life just, you never know when life's going to interrupt you, you know, and it's interrupted me a lot lately. So I write as much as I can, like, I want to get that draft on. Once the draft's done, I breathe, you know, a whole lot easier. And it's maybe 500, maybe 1500 words a day. I used to do five days a week and I'd have like, in four months, I'd have the full book, but it was just the first draft. I'd go back and rewrite, 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 read out loud. And I had two critique partners read it for me. So, cause I, I don't trust myself. And until I hear my editor say she likes it, then I breathe really well. <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, I'm just a perfectionist, that's all. And so um I guess my writing day is just whenever I can fit it in. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that's really how a lot of us do it. You know, there's it's not our whole world is writing. We've got obligations with people and just things that happen. And yeah. you're right when you talk about there's you've got like three books happening at the same time because you're marketing one, writing one, researching and dreaming up the next one all kind of simultaneously. And so it is kind of which hat am I putting on now? And I know. how's it all going to fit together? Um, and you're getting ready to pivot from the Old Testament into the New Testament, right? I am. I'm, I'm researching Mary Magdalene kind of loosely by I'm almost done with the first book, but I have a stack this high to go through. And that one, I'm just kind of reading at night a little bit to get the, the feel for it because I'm like, oh, the chosen did this so well. How am I ever going to, why did I pick this book? Yes. <laughs> you know, really. And then the one that follows is just as bad because they did such a good job with that one too. But I'm finishing Noah's wife. It's in the third edit. And once I get all those, check this, check that, you know, all those little things fixed, then I can read it out loud. Then I can finally turn it in. Then I can really focus on Mary Magdalene. But in the meantime, we're launching Daughter of Eden, which is yes. so fun. This, that's the best part when it's all done. Yeah. Hoping all the reviews are good and you don't want to read them because I can't read my reviews very often. So that's where you have a good friend go through and and figure out what the wheat is and ignore the chaff so you don't have to. And so Daughter of Eden, I always think, I was talking with Tosca Lee a few weeks ago and she's got her Havala book. And right. I just think Eden would just, or, you know, talking about Eve and imagining what Eden was like and imagining the fall from Eden. What did you learn as you were writing that book? Is there anything that just kind of jumped out at you that God just really showed you something you'd never seen before? Kind of. I mean, I took it from a perspective of I started, I, I wanted to figure out how should I start this because of the way different people view Genesis 1 through 3 and the beginning. A lot of people view, you know, the six-day literal creation. Others believe in, oh, these spent thousands of years. I didn't want to go there. Yeah. That's not what this was about, but I did want to start with before time began in the heavenlies with God creating. So that's where we begin. And so I had to, I got to transport my, my imagination to what that's like. And so you, you know, you're in revelation, picturing how Christ looks, just that was fun. And the fall of Satan, you know, that is also in the book and how his fall 
influenced Eve's fall and Adam's fall because he was standing right there. Everybody blames Eve, but come on. He could have said, hey, don't do that, you know? Exactly. And um, so she, uh, I just picture her as if you lived in absolute perfection and so in love with animals, you could, maybe they talked, maybe they didn't, but they weren't afraid of you. I mean, can you, I don't want to ride, I want to ride on a dolphin. I want to ride on the back of a great big lion, you know, and not be afraid. Those are things that I think would be so cool. So I'm thinking, and then she broke it. Yeah. And you're like, and he broke it. And how could you ever live with that or wonder what God thought felt toward you again? Because you felt his absolute perfect love in a way we on earth cannot experience. Uh, Paul talks about that express love, that love of God that's way beyond our understanding. And you hear near-death experiences say, I felt this love I've never felt on earth, whether they were actual, you know, the love of God we're feeling or not. We can't, we weren't there. We don't know. But what I'm saying is God's love is that. Wow. And that's what she knew and she lost it. And so my, my, one of my themes is, you know, that feeling of how much does God still love me? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a really powerful thought because if, and I can see where that message is going to resonate with a lot of readers because we all have some moment where we're like, we just blew it and there's no way God can ever welcome us back. And yet he does. And so nobody's blown it like even Adam did. And for them to be able to differently, very differently from that really close intimacy they'd had, but to see how God's going to redeem it. That's a really powerful theme. Well, it was, I don't know. It just, that's how I would feel, I guess, to some degree. And it's how I think, I think we all have an inner need to know we're loved. Absolutely. We need it from people, but we really need it from God, even if we don't recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, the beauty of writing the type of fiction that we do is we get to explore those themes and we get to see um, how God kind of comes into the words. And we may think we're writing one thing and then readers interpret it very differently. And I know you've gotten letters like that, where, you know, that creating partnership with God can lead to some really neat opportunities with readers. So is there a moment where, whether it was Daughter of Eden or a different book where you were like, okay, God, I have no idea where this is going. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And yet you've seen God really step into that creative process with you. Yeah, I would say Rebecca and Deborah were probably two of my hardest books to write. And um, I actually pulled Deborah back from turning it in. Oh, I I wasn't happy with it. And I, I always turned in early because that's yeah. a perfectionist in me, right? So I I said, wait a minute, and I pulled it back. And I was at that time corresponding with a, another biblical novelist who is not a believer. Um, but she was at that time, we had a lot of correspondence going on. And she and I talked on the phone for a while to help me walk through this. My husband was baking Christmas cookies in the other room and I'm on the phone talking about this book 
And she's like asking me questions, trying to probe what I was stuck, mm-hmm. you know, and God used an unbelieving author to who had a very good idea of how to write a novel. But, you know, she she just didn't share my faith. And she she admitted that over and over. So it, it wasn't like a secret. But um, yeah, I didn't like her name. And I, I love the name because I love people with the name, let's put it that way. But I also just struggled with her name for some reason that I can't really say, you know, but once I realized that I thought, well, that's ridiculous because I don't dislike her name, you know? (laughs) So so I'm like, okay. And Rebecca, like I said, I didn't think there was going to be a a good ending. McCall didn't have a happy ending when I turned it down years before, but God showed me well, there could be, you yeah. know, you know, and, and we don't know. We don't know the end of the story in scripture so often because the women are just like, oh, well, this happened and we don't get to see what happened to her afterward. We don't know when Eve died. We know how long Adam lived, but we don't know any of that stuff. Women were just not talked about as much. So it's all speculation, but God God is using for, you know, some of these books in ways right now that are shocking me and we'll wait and see whether and what happens with them. But I just like, whoa, no, (laughs) that's not happening, but it, it, it seems to be. So we'll see. That's awesome. Well, and I think it's, you know, you talk about like Deborah, like I love Deborah. I'm an attorney. I love the fact that she was one of the judges, so one of the leaders of the Israelite tribes. I love how, you know, the guys were, we're not going to do this. This is crazy. And God says, fine, I'm going to use her. And at that time, women were so just ignored and overlooked and not valuable. And yet, you know, he uses two women in that story to change the trajectory of the tribes at that time. And so I've always resonated with that story, but it's, one scene. I know. And so there's still so much you have to fill in for exactly the reasons you were talking about. So when you're doing all of this work and you're reading all these books and you're agonizing over what would have happened and what would be possible and what wouldn't, how do you celebrate when you hit send and you don't call it back? (laughs) That That was the only one I called back. Um, (laughs) When I hit send, I'm just relieved. I don't really celebrate too much you know it's I'm not I don't do the happy dance I'm just relieved and then I start the next book you know a few days later um some people clean out closets some people but I take breaks in the middle you Mm. know yeah I it's like I took two months off to go meet my new grandson and to celebrate Christmas and it felt good not to write for two months but now it's like, okay, you can't do this anymore, you know? Yeah. And most of the time I won't take that big a break. Even when we babysat our granddaughter, I was trying to work while she slept, you know? So um, I don't usually take breaks like that, but maybe I take a week or so, I guess. Maybe, I don't even have a celebration. Maybe I eat chocolate, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those that I would, if I were answering it, it would be very similar to the way you're answering it. Cause I just normally I've got the next book. And so this time I gave myself a day off and then I had to start back at my day job. Um, and then now today I'll start plotting out the book that's due next because yeah. it's like there's another book. And so 
pivot and turn. And so it's something that I'm not very good at either. No, I'm not. You just do it. You take time and celebrate when you can. You know, I celebrate other things in life. There's so many other things in my life that I would love to celebrate. And believe me, I'm throwing a party when those answers to prayer happen. But the book is not quite on the same level, I guess, as much as I love the job. It's not the same. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was so much fun to chat with you and introduce our listeners and watchers to your books. And if you all have not read Jill Eileen Smith yet, I highly recommend her books. She's won lots of awards, but you can tell just from our conversation how much she cares about the stories she's writing and getting them right. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for asking. It's been great to see you again. If you enjoyed this conversation, remember you can join us live on my Facebook page on Tuesday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next conversation. I'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review on your favorite platform. I love to hear from you. So be sure to leave a comment on this episode's show page at caraputman.com. And you can also interact with me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget, when you join my e-newsletter, I send you a copy of Dying for Love, the novella that launches the Hidden Justice series as my gift to you. Thanks again for tuning in. 